Welcome back to Beyond the Veil. Today we're discussing Sorcerer's Stone, Chapter 13, Nicholas Flamel. I am Rebecca. And I'm Madison. In this chapter, we get a lot of new information, actually. Yes. We learn all kinds of fun facts. We figure out who Nicholas Flamel is. We learn what the Sorcerer's Stone is and that it is, in fact, what's being hidden in the school, which is apparently also a place where we could just hide super dangerous things as well as small children. Absolutely. Yeah, great. Um, we get in some fights. We land children in the hospital wing. Gryffindor takes the lead. And um, Snape and Quirrell might be working together. Mysterious sus. things. Very sus. <laughs> Very sus. I saw purple venting with black <laughs> <laughs> in the forest. Speaking of nature, we have a... A little escapade into the forest from Harry this time, and the um, the cover art that kind of depicts this moment is actually uh, an influence in some of the Beyond the Veil graphics. The um, what you call it? Uh, the if you look on our social media and like on Facebook and see the rectangular banner that we have, our cover photo. Yes, our cover photo. Um, it is inspired by this fan art, which is some of my favorite in the whole Potter series. So, Beyond the Veil trivia. Remember, <laughs> I don't know for what, but just in case. <laughs> or one question trivia game later. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I suppose if we jump on to Patronus Fuel, I'll just continue ranting about this cover art. Um, Sounds good. It's... You have this image of a mysterious cloaked figure fleeing into the dangerous dark forest. And ever since I first read Sorcerer's Stone 20 years ago, I have always been so captivated by this image. And it, it just, it makes me feel like I'm eight. I am really, you know, I'm in the world of Hogwarts. I am, you know, I don't have one foot in and one foot out. Like I am there with Harry uh, at the shed, putting the broomstick away and seeing this mysterious person run into the forest. Like, this cover art very strongly brings me into the world in a way that probably only, like, the Lego games can do. So this gives me major Patronus fuel. Major, like, king-size Patronus fuel. <laughs> so, Also, like, how much cooler is it to, like, fly over the forest and, like spy through the trees than to just like accidentally happen upon them in a hallway somewhere like in the movie right like so much cooler the aesthetic is there there's an owl incident like it's very exciting like they make it kind of exciting in the movie just with like the music and stuff but like so much cooler in the book this is the moment that you really I don't know. It's because it's definitely like a, oh, this is a convenient moment for Harry to eavesdrop situation. <laughs> but I don't know. Something about it just doesn't feel, it still feels natural, even though it's definitely like plot device. It, I don't know. I mean, it's very uh, Detective Harry, which we've yes. been seeing for the past very few much. chapters. So I think it kind of fits. Mm. I'm just thinking of him yelling, Pika! And then the lightning <laughs> from Super Smash. I mean, that's definitely what he does. I, so. I don't see it not happening. So I don't know what else he'd be doing with his life. <laughs> Good question. 
So my Patronus Fuel happens like just after the game and if you have not read this chapter in a while, this is the game where Harry catches the snitch within like five minutes of the game starting. So yeah, it's a super impressive game and like you're even commenting in the book about how it must be some kind of record um, and it's exactly what Oliver asked him to do before the game was he said if there's ever time to catch the snitch early, this would be it because Snape is refereeing and they just, they want to be done with it real quick. And Harry's just like, all right, hold up. <laughs> Five minutes in, does a huge just like dive that like could probably kill anybody else. Mm-hmm. Comes out of it just holding the snitch, which is super impressive. And up until now, like Harry's not been a bad student. He's not really like messed anything up or anything, but he's never been like proud of what he's done. Mm-hmm. But after this game, then um, he's kind of by himself and he's thinking that um, he's finally done something that he could be proud of and nobody can say he's just a famous name anymore, mm-hmm. which was his main concern going into Hogwarts was that um, he wasn't going to live up to what everybody expected from him. Um, and it seems like he finally feels like he's good enough to be there and to be doing to learning, be learning magic and everything, which is super mm. good and pure and exciting, especially, like, as an 11-year-old who's been super, like, insecure, kind of, throughout the year. To yeah. see him finally be very secure and, and being good at something is very wonderful. Especially because, like, he should be proud of it. Like, it's a very impressive accomplishment, and I'm happy that he actually is proud of himself. Yeah. I, I love seeing Harry with that, like... Just this moment where it's almost like he is, I don't know, found his identity in a way that is separate from the person who he was with the Dursleys, but also separate from this idea that everybody has of him in uh, like at Hogwarts before they really know him. You know, he he is Harry in this moment. Yes, exactly. Mm. I love it. Yay, Harry. So for Enchantingly Nasty... We have a uh, a Ron moment to grieve about, the both of us. Yes. Um, I think we talked about nagging early on mm-hmm. with Petunia, I believe. Uh, or that was Shrill, but I mean, it's same. the same concept. Yeah. Um, so we get to the game and Ron and Hermione have both been practicing this, um, like, jinx basically to help out in case something bad happens again and Hermione just reminds him just very briefly of like remember this is with the curses and Raj is like I know and he snaps at her and says I know don't nag which is just like so unnecessary Mm -hmm. (laughs) but also just using the word nag is very frustrating especially because it's like she's a young girl and it's something that just women in general get told not to like be nagging or stuff like that but to have her be like 11 and being told that she's nagging people is just very frustrating yeah and it's just ron is just so confusing in this chapter because he goes from (laughs) being very like emotionally mature to being super not emotionally mature around hermione Mm mm-hmm because when it's Neville and Harry involved, he's been, and we'll talk about it later, but he's been very, like, understanding and empathetic and yeah. um, just 
kind of clever and stuff. And then whenever it's Hermione, <laughs> then he says crap like this. And it's just stupid. And it doesn't help anything. No. Because, like, we're supposed to be over this whole, like, ugh, Hermione's lame. Ugh, she's, like... I don't know. I don't feel like Ron's, like, <laughs> sexism, which is prevalent throughout the books, I don't think that adds anything to his character. And it just... It's just irritating. He doesn't... <laughs> like, we don't need this... Because it's not always done, like... I wouldn't say that by the end of it, Ron has had this arc where in the end he has learned enough about his own prejudices and beliefs that he has adequate character growth from some of that stuff. So it just, it feels like a lot of times it's a a joke or just a little dynamic between them that, um, I don't know. Like, I, I wish that it served more purpose sometimes than just being like, and now Ron is emotionally immature and sexist and a child like that doesn't it have to feels be like that. yeah i mean the only resolution we get is that he and hermione end up liking each other right which is honestly kind of gross mm-hmm. <laughs> that like rather than it being him learning that hey i shouldn't treat my friend like this it's oh i think she's more than a friend so maybe i shouldn't treat her like this yeah which is not appropriate necessarily you shouldn't treat anybody like that regardless Mm -mm. of your romantic feelings Mm. just just don't be a jerk to people no don't be sexist especially like i don't think anybody else in his family is sexist so i don't know where he gets this crap from yeah this seems maybe it's like a this is how he compensates for being where Mm -hmm. he is in the family line but also he's he can be kind of a jerk outside of talking like this. And That's true. I, I don't think that, you know, I don't think that this has to be a part of it. You know, th- there could be a, a Ron that is not making uh, comments so charged with gender implications, like don't nag. Um, mm-hmm. He doesn't have to do that to be a jerk otherwise still. doesn't have to, and yet he does. <laughs> he does. Why? Why? I'd, I think I'd be interested to know what um, the author's... Um, like, we know now that she's very insistent that she's a feminist. Mm-hmm. Regardless of whether we believe her or not, it's something that she's very um, devoted to, is right. that image. So I wonder if that has always been true, or if that's something that developed later and maybe wasn't in play as much when she was writing this book. Mm-hmm. Because there's definitely a lot of moments where we see some less than ideal views, like mm-hmm. Ron telling her not to nag earlier in the book, um, calling Petunia shrill. Um, so it's, I don't know. I'm interested if this was just, you know, the 90s and wasn't as woke and shit. But, right. <laughs> um, or if she genuinely just thinks that this stuff is okay still. Because yeah, it's, I think it's one thing to have a character dealing with, a, a you know, a real life issue, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, if like Hermione was dealing with sexism at Hogwarts, of course, like that makes mm-hmm. sense to me. Yeah. Um, it doesn't make sense that she would experience sexism and that other parts of the wizarding world would not experience racism. Um, 
that does not hold up that not at all and i just i feel like there's a lot of inconsistency here with this like desire for hermione to be this kind of symbol of you know girl power um but simultaneously is confronted by sexism constantly and often her own internalized misogyny um you know Mm -hmm. it's if we look at the way she talks about like lavender and parvati later on in the series um there's a lot of um Hermione can be just as confusing as Ron <laughs> when it comes yeah. to whether or not there's or, or what the feminist message is supposed to be. Yeah, she definitely had some like I'm not like other girls moments. Mm-hmm, for sure. So it's it's all a little confusing. Yeah, and unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> Very unnecessary. I think that if it had resulted in like if it was for. A good reason if it was leading up to some sort of growth i wouldn't put it in enchantingly nasty but it doesn't so mm-hmm. it sucks and i hate it <laughs> yeah this is superfluous obnoxious and next we don't yeah. need you we don't need you i also like this is after they're finally like okay yeah we're friends now we're cool so <laughs> right. why are you being like <laughs> Is this how you treat your friends, Ron? Like, if this was before they decided that, like, everyone was cool, then, like, I guess. Because, like, for some reason that was a whole thing of let's just harass Hermione until she's our friend and then we'll stop. (laughs) (laughs) Which is not okay. But Mm -hmm. um, it just, it's all very middle school. I don't know that they are middle school age. So... I'll let some of it pass, but a lot of it's unnecessary and unnecessarily bad. Yeah. A hundred percent. Enchantingly nasty. It is indeed. (laughs) It is a a cover cover page moment for this section. (laughs) Exactly. So this week for Accio Fandom... Um, we have a lovely article about someone who never gets enough love, and that is Neville Longbottom. From our mother, Mucklenet. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Mom. Uh, so this article is five times Neville surprises with his courage by Nathalia Velez. Um, and we get, as would be expected, five times when Neville decides to just be a complete badass mm-hmm. or just decides to be just the incredible Neville that we all know and love. Yes. I think that we don't get as much Neville as I would like, but when we do, he's just incredible. And as mm-hmm. this article says, he blows us away with his awesomeness. Yes. Um, so the very first thing on this list of times when Neville has this awesome courage uh, happens in this chapter, and that is when he tries to take on Crab and Goyle during the Quidditch game. Um, so I think, yeah, so Ron gives Draco a black eye, and Neville tries to take both Crab and Goyle on at the same time, <laughs> which is ambitious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and I don't think that he did it because he thought he could take them down. I think he just did it because he wanted to stand up for himself and 
it was just a very Gryffindor thing. Yeah. Because while we both don't condone getting in fistfights with children. <laughs> right. Um, it's, it's a very Gryffindor thing to do. Mm-hmm. Especially 11-year-old Gryffindor boys. I think that it's completely understandable for them to just be like, you know what? Let's go down. We're fighting now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because we don't have any other outlet, really. <laughs> To deal with Crab and Goyle and Draco, so mm-hmm. it's just it was very good, and we get some empathy from Ron actually, like standing up against Malfoy. It's just, yeah, I think we also don't really like that the whole thing happened, but well, yeah, there's I don't know, it's hard. Cause I like, I like, um, like the soul of it, but not the actual actions behind it. Right. Yeah. I think there are times when it feels like violence is unavoidable, especially when your temper is high and you're afraid that your friend might get knocked off his broom by an evil teacher, um, and you're having somebody taunt you cruelly and like, you know, it's never, I would never say it's never like a good first choice, but it definitely sometimes feels like the only one. Um, I understand that very well. And there are some times when violence, you know, unfortunately is the only choice. Um, I don't think that was necessarily the case here, but um it does seem like maybe Draco and Crab and Goyle learned a little bit of a lesson. So, you know, it's it's one of those things. It's hard to say, right? Like, no, it's not good. But also, it could have turned out a lot worse than it did for what it was. So, I think as far as plot development in a book, it worked very well. Exactly. If it's actually happening to you in real life, do not recommend. <laughs> no. Do not recommend Especially if you do not know how to fight somebody. Like, take a martial arts class if you want to be able to defend yourself. um, Or get really good at screaming and running away. (laughs) A lot of self-defense is mainly about um, getting yourself to a point where you can run away. Yes. It's not about, you know, trying to severely injure the person. No. Very Gryffindor moment for Neville and speaks volumes that his journey is sort of beginning here, this first act of um, maybe a little bit misguided, but still brave action, Um, you know, leads all the way to him taking out Nagini later on and standing up for good versus evil. And Mm -hmm. I wish everybody were more like Neville, honestly. Agreed. Yeah, I think that this article also is really representative of the fact that this kind of leads into that, just with this being the first time, like, the first thing on the list of things that Neville did that showed his courage. Yeah. Um, so it starts with this, and then it goes into um, them seeing him at St. Mungo's with his parents, and then it goes into um, standing up against the Snatchers, and then it goes into, you know, the end whenever he tells Voldemort that he's going to fight to the end. Like, it gets very real yeah (laughs) later on but um this kind of leads up to him feeling like he can stand up to his bullies and right now that's 
Crab and Goyle, but later on it's Death Eaters and then it's Voldemort himself. Yeah. Which is like major jumps, but also this happens over a long period of time. Right. Um, and I think it's really awesome that what gave him the confidence to do this first thing, to stand up to his very first bullies, or at least his first bullies after starting Hogwarts, mm-hmm. is um, words from his friends. And even though, you know, maybe Ron, Harry, and Hermione don't consider themselves to be Neville's friends, I think it's clear that Neville considers them to be his friends. Yes. And what Harry says to them, I mean, I'll get into that later, I think, in our chocolate section. But, um, mm, yes. What we, what they tell Neville gives him the courage to do that, and it's all very good. Yeah. <laughs> they do a good job. This week for the Department of Social Justice, we have mostly just kind of thinking more about, um, the state of things at Hogwarts where Ron and Hermione are planning to hex their teacher in case he tries to murder their friend. And this is, you know, like you said earlier, this would be a really great occasion for a school counselor or a place where, you know, Mm -hmm. they can go and have their concerns taken seriously. Um, Mm -hmm. They do talk to Hagrid and get some feedback from him, but there really needs to be somewhere they can go go to somebody and say, hey, like, we need help. We're afraid of what's going to happen and be taken seriously. And they don't have that. (laughs) And it sucks. I think there's not even like a school board really that kids can go to Mm -mm. because we have like the governors that um, deal with um, whenever they decide to kick Dumbledore out in one of the later books but um for right now like there's nothing that the kids can do about saying like hey this teacher is trying to like actively kill a student can yeah. we maybe get him out of here <laughs> and there, there's no way for them to to do that no there's just like I understand that they're 11 year old kids but like they should still have some power in this place that I mean they're living there this is their home it's really frustrating because, I mean, part of it because it's, you know, it, it reflects a lot of experiences I know that I had in school when there would be a teacher who was causing problems and, you know, the administration wouldn't take it seriously if it was brought to them uh, or even, you know, parents wouldn't take it seriously sometimes or take any action. And, you know, school is a place where kids are you know, in some ways powerless to authority figures, especially when you have like, you know, like, um, sometimes you have cases where it particularly happens with students of color, um, black students, especially you have like student resource officers who maybe abuse their power and will arrest children for being disruptive. Maybe these are children who are disabled or they are, um, neurodivergent. Like, you know, these are, This is a place where children should be safe, and in real life and at Hogwarts, often they are not and are put in danger by the people who are there. And it's it's really striking how talking about joking about how Hogwarts is you know um, kind of not a safe place for the students who are there is a really sad reflection of what schools can look like for some kids. I still think it's a joke that they're called 
um, school resource officers. And right. Like, not really resource for the school. No. Um, and for anybody who's not American, those are police <laughs> officers who are in our school. Yep. You know. Like, I mean, you could probably find, like, a million different stories about the problems with school resource officers mm-hmm. and how little they actually help kids. I mean, there's been situations where, like, there's been actual school shootings and school resource officers just ditch. Yeah, they run like, away, they, literally. They run away. They do not protect the kids. They're not there to protect the kids. They are there to, like, discipline, basically, mm-hmm. and to, like, arrest kids. That's pretty yeah. much their entire Protect the institution. Exactly. Or in some cases, they actually have... I don't want to get too much into it, but there's been, like, cases of school resource officers just, like, abusing kids yeah. in multiple different ways that I won't get into. But um, there's a lot of problems with it. Mm-hmm. So even in situations where some sort of authority does try to put in a resource for a school for kids to have help, it's still not for the kids. No. It's basically like Umbridge whenever she first shows up. Yeah. And she's just there from the ministry to make sure that things are going the way that the ministry wants it to go. She's not there to help the kids. She's not there to support them in any way or to make sure that their lives are easier. She's just there to make sure that things are going the way the ministry wants it to go. Yeah. And that's basically what happens when adults try to get school's resources. Yeah. There's... Like, they are all, like, they are clearly in a situation here already in Sorcerer's Stone. Like, this is their first year, and they're already in a place where they need resources to help them, but there's not, there's no semblance of anything close to what they need to either, you know, get them the kind of mediation they need with Snape to learn that he's not trying to murder Harry, um, and, and, but it's, you know can start to talk about that but it just all goes to shit because there is somebody there who's actually trying to kill harry and uh would a you know would the presence of some kind of protection for students actually been able to prevent quarrel from being there with voldemort on the back of his head it's a good question yeah i mean also if teachers weren't allowed to just return to school all the time without any sort of like hey what'd you do over the summer did you maybe become a body for lord voldemort because if so you can't come back to <laughs> right they need a, a a computer a high-powered computer like they have at the austere academy where coach gen or you know uh count olaf can't get through because the high-powered computer will recognize him because it's coded to see his eyebrow and his ankle tattoo <laughs> when i was thinking about ron and draco getting into the fight and Neville and Crab and Goyle. And I was, I don't know. I feel like I've ranted enough about like how, what resources the students have. This is just like, this is really small potatoes in comparison. I think that it's a very good way to transition into Chaco's Madame Pomfrey, our next segment um, would be that a lot of this could be helped by having a school counselor, a good school counselor Mm -hmm. at Hogwarts. And I know we've said that, like, every week. Yes. <laughs> but it's very true. It is. <laughs> um, and not just, like, a random school counselor who doesn't do anything, because those definitely exist. Mm-hmm. But, like, one who actually pays attention to them and believes them mm-hmm. and could provide them with some insight 
could say like, I don't know how you guys find out about this, but rather than just saying like, I'm not going to talk to you about it. I'm going to tell you that like, you shouldn't know about this, but since you do, there are protections by multiple different people. It's not just one thing in the way, like without telling them what the protections were, obviously, because we don't want to like prep them. To, we don't want to, you know, that's not stuff to be disclosed. No. But without disclosing it, you could tell them that there are like five or whatever different things protecting a stone. It's not just fluffy. It's not just um, whether or not coral can stand up to Snape. It's um, it's multiple different things by a lot of different people. Yeah. And obviously, if they had convinced the kids that it was safe, then, I mean, it wouldn't have been safe and everything would have gone to shit. But, I mean, just objectively, it would have been good for them to not be so scared about it as children. Because it wasn't theirs to be scared about. No. And ideally, they could have, like, comforted the kids, told them, like, those things, tried to get them not to worry about it, and then brought that up with Dumbledore. Yes. And said, there are kids finding out about this, there are kids accidentally running into this room with a giant murderous dog very cute dog but like very deadly mm-hmm. there are kids who um nope that stone is in there which means that anybody can find out that the stone is in there like this is very dangerous we need to get this out of here yeah and that would have i mean ideally that would have led dumbledore to be like okay let me find something better mm-hmm. or like he has the conversation with Nicholas Flamel five months later where Nick, exactly. they're like, okay, we'll just stop taking the elixir. You yeah, because he goes, like, this isn't working. And it obviously wasn't safe at Gringotts, um, but it's not safe here either. Right. So, like, this isn't safe anymore. Mm-mm. And we need to get rid of it because it's not worth, you know, kids being eaten by a giant dog. No, you've been alive for almost 700 years. Like, you're good. Like, yeah, you had your fun. Let's <laughs> move on. <laughs> Oh, man. A counselor would have been able to help with those things and would have been somebody that poor Harry could have gone to after the mirror, which has left him, like, just distraught with new terrifying nightmares about his parents disappearing in a flash of green light, Voldemort, and the night they died. And it's, it's so sad. We talked a little bit about Harry's kind of having this like trauma reawaken a little bit in him, like Mm -hmm. because of the mirror and um, it's because of everything he went through with the Dursleys and how little he was able to process the, um, you know, the tragedy of his parents' death. Now he's having to do that as he's older and is, you know, it's always just so much more complicated when you have to wait to get over, or not get over, but to work through something. Especially because, like, even though he has friends now, they still aren't able to help him with the nightmares. Mm-mm. Because, I mean, Hermione's response is basically just, like, I can't believe you didn't even find out what happened to Flamel. I can't believe you're just wandering around. Which is not helpful, no. obviously. Um, and then Ron's response is even worse, which is just saying that, like, Dumbledore was right, that mirror could drive you mad. Because, first of all, it's basically insinuating that Harry's going mad, which is not okay. No. Um, Having nightmares, especially nightmares that are caused by a major trauma, like trauma at all, but like 
trauma around like your parents dying and mm-hmm. you almost dying. That's not you going mad. That's just you having an understandable response to major trauma. Right. And it's also just super dangerous. I like I hate that that's how it's phrased, especially in a book for kids that is just like, see, you're going mad. Like, <sighs> no, he's not. <laughs> very dangerous to even use the word mad or use the word like crazy or anything like that because th- those aren't things. Those are concepts that we made up to kind of brush off people having um, mental health issues and especially like major mental health issues yeah. like severe trauma. Um, and it's just, it's very annoying <laughs> mm-hmm. to have Ron respond like that, especially considering Ron's his like best friend. And um I mean, like I said earlier, he goes back and forth from being, like, very emotionally mature to, like, very not emotionally mature. Yeah. It's obnoxious. And confusing. I stand by what you've said. Like, this this is a normal response to what Harry has gone through. And even the implication that something about it is off or not quite right is really... It's frustrating and it's dangerous and mm-hmm. unfortunately, with Ron's up and down emotional maturity to immaturity, it, you know, it's it's in character for him. Um, but yeah. it just it feels like another one of those things where you it doesn't there's a way for him to convey a similar message. Like, yeah, I mean, that mirror is just going to like make you feel terrible. You know, yeah. it's the same concept, but without the implication that Harry's response is somehow uh abnormal or yeah like him being driven mad yeah um because i mean he was an infant and his parents got murdered in front of him and he almost got murdered and then he just like this last week or whatever saw his parents for the very first time in his entire life Mm -hmm. like obviously that is going to trigger trauma yeah like it would be ridiculous to pretend that it wouldn't Mm -hmm. and it's confusing to me that the author would see that and know that that would trigger him to have like nightmares and to have like a trauma response but would still put in something like that like and i know that it's supposed to just be like oh harry didn't have anyone who understood him but like ron can respond in a way that is supportive even if he doesn't necessarily understand yeah and and he has, I mean, in many ways. Exactly. So it just, it his inconsistency is consistent, <laughs> but yes. it, it doesn't it doesn't have to be this way. Agreed. In that same kind of scene, I it's a a short thing, but I I think Ron and Harry observe that Hermione always loses at chess, and they believe that. Um, Playing chess is very good for her because losing is very, you know, it's good for her to not be good at something. And um, I think that it is a a fun observation. And I wish as a a child who was a perfectionist and always trying to do everything perfectly, I would have loved having friends who would give me that kind of humility every once in a while just to, you know keep me from being sad if I missed a question on a test. That practice losing at chess would have been very uh, helpful. Yes. Something where it's not just like, well, I suck at this, I'm going to quit. Exactly. Yeah. Speaking of chess, um, 
So whenever Harry comes in to find uh, Ron and Hermione playing chess, then Ron's immediate like response is to start to tell Harry not to talk to him because he's concentrating. But the second he sees Harry's face, after Harry learned that Snape is going to be refereeing the game, um, he immediately just like stops. Like he doesn't even finish his sentence. He like stops playing, asks Harry what's going on, what's wrong, mm-hmm. which has a lot of empathy and it also is very emotionally mature. Um, which is what we're talking about of the inconsistency yes. of Ron. <laughs> um, so he's usually, it's hard to say he's usually anything because it goes so back and forth, mm-hmm. but we see him being very not helpful <laughs> with the nightmares. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he goes immediately into being very understanding um, and wanting to. I don't know what's going on when he sees Harry being upset. Yeah. So, <laughs> very confusing. Because, mm-hmm. like, that's good, and I'm very happy to see that. I just, you know, you wish that you could see it more consistently. Right. It's, this is, Ron's roller coaster is very difficult to be on this chapter. It really is. And then he just gets in a fist fight. Like. hmm <laughs> A lot happens. Um, a lot happens. And he is also, like, when Neville comes in after Draco has hexed him, um, he's also kind there. And they all actually give Neville some really nice, um, they, 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 you know, they're all trying to help him after. And, and, you know, Hermione tells him to go to Dumbledore and Ron tells him, you know, fuck Malfoy, you're great. <laughs> And it's really Harry's advice, though, that seems to get to Neville in a positive way, where he says, you know, you're worth 12 of Malfoy. The Sorting Tat chose you for Gryffindor, didn't it? Um, Mm -hmm. And it's it's very, I think it makes a lot of sense that Harry would be able to give him this advice that makes a big difference since he was bullied by Dudley so much. Um, So it's, it's nice to see them all. It's so strange how there are these really sweet moments of like emotional maturity and alternating with these like what the hell where did you get that idea and you know mm-hmm. humans are inconsistent so I I get that but um I don't know I feel like a lot of these uh situations even if there weren't going to be a perfect response the sometimes the lack of empathy seems uncharacteristic based on remarks that were made 10 seconds earlier in the page. So. Yeah. And we also, I do like that um, Harry's advice comes back later of whenever he tells Neville that you're with, you're with 12 of Malfoy. Mm-hmm. Um, he says that to Draco's face, which is incredible. <laughs> yes. and I love, but he's just like, I'm with 12 of you. Dang. And Ron's just like, you tell him. <laughs> and it's, I love it. <laughs> so sweet. Going backwards a little bit, but regarding the nightmares that they had, um, or that Harry had, he found a correlation that whenever he was tired from playing lots of Quidditch, that it helped him have less nightmares. And in one regard, like you shouldn't wear yourself out so much just because you're worried about having nightmares. Like that's very sad. Mm-hmm. But doing sports, exercising, things like that, is a good way to handle having added stress and things like nightmares and stuff. And it is 
a very valid and good way to combat that. Yeah. I personally am not a fan of going out and exercising to help my depression, but for some people it works. Definitely. <laughs> um, and I'm very impressed with him for finding that correlation, and I'm very happy that he has that. And it was just a good representation of something that he found um, to kind of be a placeholder for some mental health support. Yeah. It is nice to, because we've talked a little bit about kind of the um, sometimes good, sometimes bad uh, effects that come with being involved in sports and athletic culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, it's a nice little reminder, especially because what he's doing mostly between, um, during this part at least, is not the actual competitive part, it's the practicing um, mm-hmm. and I think there's something to that, like the, the act of just like going and flying and throwing the ball around doing drills. Um, that's the stuff that, at least in my experience, like the, the practice is always very enriching, you know, the going into the gym and lifting weights, not preparing for a competition. Um, so it's, it's just a nice reminder about that, like, you know, the gentler aspects of, uh, moving around and exercising that don't have to involve like hyper toxic masculine competition mm-hmm. tournament blah, situations. <laughs> I think that um, it's important that it's not because um, it could go the opposite direction. It could go um, him being so nervous and stuff that like, I mean, we do see him at one point just not wanting to eat because he was nervous about the game. Yeah. Um, so like it could go either way with that for his mental health um but it's nice to see that rather than having these extra practices these extra long hard practices um be draining for him and making his stress worse it is actually starting to be a good way like a good outlet for him and a good way for him to kind of feel a little bit better about some stuff which is really exciting (laughs) well it reminds me of that um i heard online a couple times that a lot of times when you have to go to a therapist you're dealing with the effects of people around you who also need to go to therapy and do not um (laughs) oliver wood in prisoner of azkaban is causing everybody a lot of stress and probably needs to talk to somebody about his fear of not getting the Quidditch Cup before he graduates because um, the lack of that pressure of graduating seems to be making the the environment a much more stable and healthy one in Sorcerer's Stone. Yes. I love Oliver, but like, he needs something. Some deep breaths. (laughs) Yes. Some yoga. He needs a lot of stuff. (laughs) Just... Relax. Bless him. Bless him. I feel like he would have been a really good Slytherin. Yes. Plus, then he would have been winning a lot. He would have just been thriving. Oh, he loves the... In this way, he has to, you know, as a Gryffindor, he really has to work for it a little bit. So... That's That's true. You know. It's good. It's good for him. So, this week for Into the Pensive, um, I was thinking a lot about how... 
you know, we're zooming through this book. We have what, like four chapters left after this. Um, and I am <laughs> in thinking about like moving forward from this chapter, I'm excited for the future books, which, you know, it's jumping ahead, but, um, it makes sense that this book is written the way that it is and constructed the way that it is, but I'm finding myself kind of really wanting to get into the meat of the story a little more in depth. Um, we're hitting a lot of like big plot points, which is great. And I love Sorcerer's Stone, but I also love the like drawing out of the mystery and all of the different plot points and layers that happen later in the books. Um, and this mm -hmm. is great, but it's, uh, it's just reminding me that this is just like a taste of what's to come from the rest of the series. And I'm ready for more. <laughs> I think I'm kind of torn. Cause like on one hand, like I do feel the same way and I want more of them like exploring Hogwarts and more of them going off grounds and going to Hogsmeade and things mm -hmm. and um, having more characters involved yes. and more like actual classmates other than just these three and like occasionally Neville. Mm -hmm. um, and there's so much that is what I think everybody loves about the series that isn't in this book. But at the same time, like I also just the simplicity of it in this first book before everything kind of goes to shit is very nice. Yeah. Um, and this has always been, I don't know about favorite book, but definitely for as far as the movies go, the first one was always my favorite movie. Mm -hmm. There's just something that's so much less stressful. <laughs> <laughs> um, you don't have to, like, worry about Voldemort until, like, the last, like, 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you see, like, bits and pieces of it in the book where, like, there's definitely a little more... Um, concern happening throughout the book and it's a little more spread out but um it's just compared to the other ones it's a very welcoming book and it's a very easy to follow and just kind of calm book yeah which i do love about it i think it's just yeah i don't know this chapter is kind of like right where i think it starts to kind of turn into like a little more um, urgency starting in this chapter. Yeah. To um, to kind of figure out what's going on. Because um, up until now, it's just been them like kind of playing a guessing game with Hagrid and being like, ooh, I wonder what it is. Like, this is interesting. This is cool. This is an adventure. Mm -hmm. um, to all of a sudden, it's just like, we're all going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, Voldemort's going to get power. Snape's trying to kill me. Like, everything's going bad. Like, this is all bad. And, um, and so this is where it kind of starts to turn around. And then after this, I feel like the whole series is that all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially when we fly into Chamber of Secrets and Dobby is their first thing causing utter mm -hmm. chaos. And then all year, just like kids are just, and ghosts and every, cats are all being petrified. Which. Mm -hmm. Just randomly, all year long. And then everyone thinks that Harry is just, like, the descendant of Slytherin, and it gets messy. And that's, that's I think, why I, 
I wish that we had more in this book to chew on because, mm-hmm. you know, the way the story is told in like Order of the Phoenix or Goblet of Fire with, you know, something uh, getting really deep into something every single chapter. In this, mm-hmm. I feel like each chapter has three or four incidents that in later books, you know, would have had their own uh, chapters. And yeah, it's I want more of that pre Voldemort, um, you know, everything's probably going to be fine. We're just at this scary school where there's a scary dog and maybe my teacher wants to steal a precious alchemical artifact. Um, (laughs) That's a different kind of stress than everyone at the school is being attacked by a monster unseen, you know? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So... If you are excited to talk about dragons, then please join us next week to discuss Chapter 14, Norbert the Norwegian Ridgeback. Um, in the meantime, you can follow us on social media. On Instagram and Facebook, we are Beyond the Veil Pod. And on Twitter, we are Beyond the Veil MN. Imagine just like Harry Potter, but replaced with just actual Pikachu wandering around. Yes. And then we're just like, here's Boy Who Lives, and he's like... I mean, he's, there's even the lightning theme. I wasn't thinking exactly. about that. Like, yes. It's perfect. It's perfect. Oh, my God. I keep... <laughs> do you want me to do it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs>